Matthew chapter 7. We have been going through Jesus' sermon that He gave to the, on the mount. Um, you know, this is our fifth crack at it. He did this all in one setting. <laughs> um, so hopefully we'll, we'll get all the way through chapter 7. We'll see. If you had to have a theme for this whole discourse, um, it would be righteousness that exceeds. At this time, they were very religious people who claimed to be very active in serving their God, but it was very superficial. It was skin deep. It was for show. And so that's what he said back in chapter 5, verse 20. For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no wise or no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts to break down all the ways that the scribes and Pharisees and, and us, unfortunately, when we're serving superficially, can look down our long noses at other folks. Well, that person over there is in jail for murder. I certainly am better than that. And he's like, well, Bubba, you ever hated somebody in your heart? That's just as wrong. Those sins of the internal that can't be seen. Well, that person over there has committed adultery. Okay. Have you ever lusted after a person in your heart? The lesson in that is you're no better. Maybe harder to see. And then going on with all the various superficial ways that they serve, but from the heart, it wasn't there. Um... And then he gives this radical concept about loving even your enemies. And our natural man says, whoa. I don't think so. That's uh, it's counterintuitive, right? Well, our intuition is leaning on our own understanding, our own mind, our own intellect. This is something that's, that's radical. Do good to those that curse you and hate you and persecute you. Bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. That's Christ's standard. That's a righteousness that it, that exceeds. Right? A superficial service to God, you ain't going to get there. The only reason you're ever enabled to do that is because of the grace of God, which has given you new life as a new creature. You're created as a new creature into good works. The Holy Spirit that dwells within you enables you to do that. Don't feel like it's beyond your reach and don't use excuse that it's beyond your reach. Well, I just can't. That's just not my personality. That's just not my way. Sorry, guys. We've all got that old personality. That's called the old man. And he's a terrible, selfish individual. (laughs) And you can't use him as an excuse. Not if if you're born again. Not if you know who the Lord is and you love Him. You've you've been able to see Him by the eyes of faith. There's something new that's happened in you. And so Christ is laying out a pattern for what what does righteousness really look like? What is His level of righteousness? And then He goes on in chapter 6, which we looked at pretty extensively, about the superficial religious acts that you're doing to be seen of men don't please God in the least. You can be given gifts to the church to 
poor people, whatever, alms that you can be giving them out left, right, and sideways. But if you're doing it so that folks can see you, how does that please the Lord? Same thing with prayers. If you're praying so that people can see, wow, look at him. He's got such a good prayer life as he's praying on the corner of the streets versus praying to your father in secret. So again, he's calling out these hypocritical acts. And to be a hypocrite is one who plays the part. I did theater back in high school. I was, at one point I was Bernardo in West Side Story. He's a mean guy. And I got really into it. I, I nearly broke somebody's sternum. <laughs> Play, I mean, he was messing with my sister in the play, and so I, you know, stiff armed him and wanted to go to the hospital. <laughs> but I was playing a part. It wasn't me, you know. No matter how, what, how much I wanted to be, I was not Bernardo. Right? That's not my life. But when we serve God, we should not be playing the part. It should be genuine from the heart out and consistent. And I want you to catch something. This expression, he's talking about giving the alms. He said, "Don't do it like this." As the hypocrites do. He uses that expression three times. As the hypocrites. This is an, an other, right? He's, he's speaking to his disciples, right? Those that are already following him, more or less extent. They're sitting around the mountain. There. These are the ones who want to hear him. He's not talking about the scribes and Pharisees who, who aren't there. Right? He's talking to them, disciples. He says, don't be like that. Now jump to chapter 7. That's where we're trying to get to. Long lead in, sorry. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thine own? Or wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam of thine own eye. Then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. I just want to work with, there's a lot we got to unpack before we get there. But I wanted you to catch the difference in that expression as, as the hypocrites and then thou hypocrite. Right? There are those who are playing the part and that's all they've got. Okay? It's all an act. But then there's times as we as his disciples and followers, we put on the act. Okay? Doesn't mean we're not followers. Doesn't mean we're not disciples. But it means we're doing something that's wrong. <laughs> and we need to lay it aside. Okay? So we can chew on that. Starting with judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Okay. This requires some discernment. There are other times in scriptures where it says something to the effect of judge among yourselves. What, what, over there it said judge not. What do you mean? Is scripture inconsistent? No. All right. You know um, in the English language and as well as back in the Greek that there's different usages for words. Right? We've got multiple definitions. You look at a good dictionary, you may have four, five, six different definitions for one word. So this, this word judge here has more than one definition, all right? You and I are called to judge in the sense that we are to discern, to distinguish, to parse out, find the difference between right and wrong. You are always required to do that, okay? Everyone understand that. That is a context for judging when you are required to distinguish between right and wrong. 
That's not what's being applied here. This judgment is looking, and generally on superficial information, and rendering an unfavorable opinion about somebody. Okay? If Brother Parrish was out to go try and buy some land, and they said, oh, there's, there's a thousand acres over here. He gets up to the road. He can't see the land. There's trees behind it. And he goes over to the ditch that's right beside it. That's part of the acreage. And he takes a scoop full of dirt, and he takes that to the county and says, here, analyze this. I want to know if I need to buy this land. He's got a scoop of dirt. It's from the land. It's got trash and nastiness or whatever. Is he going to be able to make a real good assessment about the quality of that rest of the thousand acres? No. You'd say, well, that's kind of foolish to pass judgment on all that land on just a little bit of smidgen smidgen of dirt that's right there. Right? Now, that's what we do to people every day. When we look at somebody and we write them off. Well, they don't look like me. Their first language is different than mine. They may have piercings or other things that make me uncomfortable. If a prostitute walked into this church right now, and you could tell by their dress, but they wanted to come to church, y'all all get real stiff. this uncomfortable should be this is this one this one's a river dance on everybody's toes <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember that little guys clogging they jumped real high mine too All right this is not distinguishing between right and wrong there is conduct that is clearly right and clearly wrong discern that yes don't change that but to look at individuals and to write them off as being unworthy, unredeemable, unapproachable, untouchable, all those things, that's not our job. Okay? The Lord knows who His are. Guess what, tigers? Before we're born again, we all look the exact same way. Nasty and vile and solely in sin. Now, we may be on some kind of spectrum where, depending on what kind of constraints in our bringing up or society or whatever, we may look, have an appearance of being better than others. Well, I don't do that one. That's nasty. But, like I'm looking down on those who are murderers and adulterers. What's going on in here? It's just as vile. <laughs> Judge not that ye be not judged. We aren't to render the decision or condemnation against other folks. Right? We're not. Now, if you're called to ask, is what, am, you know, I've been in this situation. Someone is doing something that is wrong and they want you to agree with them. That's not judging them in this sense. That's saying, no, 
God's word's clear. What you're doing is wrong. I can still love you. Even if you get mad at me. Even if you hate me. Even if you curse me. I'm still called to love you. To do good to you and bless you. Pray for you. Did did Christ put any exceptions into that rule? But what if they vote Democrat? (laughs) You're to pray for your worst enemy. You got to pray for Democrats too. (laughs) Okay. We've talked about this before. That influences in our society, people who want you to do things, will motivate you by fear and anger and hatred. If you can put people in categories of other then it's okay for me to hate them. And I can do things that are opposed to them. That's not what your leader, the leader of this church, says to do. So so you're to do what's right and to love regardless of the input you're getting around you. It's one of the reasons we're not to be weary in well-doing. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Now this is interesting. That if I'm setting a bar for other people, that if you can't meet this bar, I'm going to write you off. Says there's some consequences for that. The Lord's going to teach me. And you're going to apply that standard that I've been putting on other people. He'll apply it to me, and it's it's probably going to hurt. Remember, this context is thou hypocrites. This is the disciples. This is the Lord. If he loves you, he's going to love you enough to chasten you. Kids, when your mom and daddy get on to you, it's because they love you. They don't feel like that when your hind's sore. (laughs) But it is. If they didn't love you, they wouldn't care. And they wouldn't labor with you and try and teach you. That's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. That He loves you and teaches you. And so we need to be on our guard. Against passing... Condemnation on others. It's not your job to decide who's worthy to be in the family of God. One, your opinion don't matter. And two, you don't know who they are. And three, before you were born again, you looked just like it. You may have had different things that you enjoyed. Alright? So judge not that you be not judged. Don't. Do not write people off based on the way they don't fit whatever preconceived checkboxes you've got. Is this hard? Yeah. Is this counterintuitive? Yeah. This is radical. This is this is not easy run-of-the-mill, you know, watered-down Christianity. This is taking what your Savior said and running with it. The next image he says, and what with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Alright, so the idea is that when you are giving something, how much is enough? Alright? Somebody comes and asks you for a cup of sugar, you go take that one cup and you give it. There you go, a cup of sugar. Somebody comes and asks you for something, you know, maybe they need five gallons and you go get that same one cup. There you go. You need five gallons of water, here's a cup says that the measure that you, you choose to interact with others will choose to use that against you or with you. 
Go to Luke chapter 6 and 38, and you'll see this same expression, but it gives a little bit more detail, so maybe that'll help it be understood. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. This is not just limited to talking about how you interact with God. This is talking about interacting with your fellow man. That when you see a need and you're generous and kind and outpouring of it, it says that when you have a need, folks take care of you. Not being chintzy, giving you, you need some rice. Here's four grains. Don't use it all in one place. But the idea is, you know, taking that big old measuring cup and it's, it's full and overplayed. We'll pack it down with some more in there. Put some more, you know. Is that, is that, that word picture making sense? Love in action. This is, this, I mean, have you ever known someone who's just incredibly generous, always taking care of others, and then something happened and they had a hard time? What happens? Folks bend over backwards trying to scramble to be the first ones to try and take care of them. Right? I mean, that's just... It's just the truth. But by the same token that if everything we do is stingy, hearted, we should expect to have stinginess in return when we have a need. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? What's a mote? Mote's like a little splinter, little speck. That's for our purposes, let's say a gnat. All right? Looking over there, and Josh got a gnat in his eye. He says, well, if you can see that, but you don't consider the fact that you've got a beam sticking in your eye. Boys had some sticks they sharpened up. They were going to have fishing spears. Right? If I fell on that and I had a fishing spear, and they were about six feet long, <laughs> sticking out of my eye, I looked over there and I thought, Brother Zach, you got a gnat in your eye. Let me, let me help you with that. Get in there real close, try and see. I can't even get real close. I'm going to whack him with my spear. <laughs> right. He says, I'm a hypocrite. Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam that's in your own eye. Ow! Probably hurts. Right? And thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Right? I'm finding fault with something my brother's got going on. That's the idea is that he's got some sin in his life. And well, let me... I'm going to help you out. I'm going to point out. Is it easy to see other people's faults? Yeah. Is it as easy to see your own? No, we're good at ignoring that. All right. It's kind of like when you get out of the shower and the mirror's all fogged up. When it comes to examining ourselves, we get that little patch wiped off and that's good. <laughs> Ignore the rest. Which should we be more critical of? Others or self, right? Yeah. Because we know how nasty we are. And we know our sins run deep. And we know they run from the heart outward. Okay? Thou hypocrite, don't play the part. Cast out the beam first out of thy own eye. And then you can see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother. So, all right, here's a, here's a different word picture. Um, I say Elliot's got his first truck. And he's driving along a little rock comes up and chips it. And I go over when he cuts home. Oh, you got a chip on that windshield. Man, that looks bad. 
that's just terrible. You got to fix that. You need to call Safe Flight or whoever, right? Get a new windshield. And then he looks at my windshield, and it's got a big hole. I mean, it's just shattered, right? I got bricks that have gone through it. You can barely see it through. That's just like complete spidering. And I say, here, here's, here's a guy to call. You can trust him. He does good. <laughs> Is my advice going to be any degree of credibility? The urgency. you got to take care of this. It's really important. It sure looks like from your life it's real important, right? Now, Jesus' illustration is the best. Mine's just another way to try and help you think about it. Because sometimes we hear these over and over and over again, and we just kind of get numb to it, right? We need to think about this afresh, right? Are we holding others to a standard that's higher than we hold ourselves to? Generally, yes. Because we know all the good reasons of why we can ignore what we did. (laughs) We're real good with those. Thou hypocrite, thou who are playing the part. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. All right. Now, all that we've said here about judging and being self-critical and giving grace to others is packaged in with the same concept that comes up in verse 6, which may seem like just counterintuitive. A lot of this is counterintuitive, right? It seems like I'm saying something different. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn around and rend you. All right, we got two different word pictures here that may be foreign to you. Um, if you like dogs, that's fine. Bibles are, the Bible does not mention them in positive terms. Now, I'm not condemning your dogs. I'm not judging them. But if you want to understand what this expression is about, you've got to see how are dogs described Throughout Scripture, what's the connotation? What's being built up here? What's the word picture? The word picture is you're living out in a town. There's not great sanitation. You've got wild packs of dogs. They eat garbage. They eat stuff. You know, Jezebel, when she got chunked out of the tower, they went and had a party before they dealt with her corpse. When they found her later, all that was left was hands and feet because the wild dogs had eaten her, right? It's not a positive association, all right? And so here it's saying, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Right? So if there's a roaming pack of wild dogs, are you going to take you know, the communion bread and go out and feed them? No. Right? So that which is holy, that which would be that which was given to the, tib- the tabernacle, the service through the temple this time, you're not going to. Um, and then it gives a different word picture with the same connotation. Neither uh, cast ye your pearls before swine. Y'all ever heard the expression putting lipstick on a pig? Kind of a waste of lipstick, right? It doesn't change the pig. If you go and put a pearl necklace around that pig, is that pig going to have any appreciation for it? Does it care, right? Well, the idea is if I've got this something that's beautiful and holy and I'm going to give it to the pig, what's going to happen? I ain't going to care. They're going to stomp it under their feet in the mud and the wallow where they're at, and it says they may turn around and bite you. All right? You're like, well, preacher, what's this supposed to talk about? We're called to share the truth of the gospel. Agreed? We're called not to judge in such a way that we write off people before we even open our mouths. Right? Agreed? When someone is openly hostile, 
to God and open rebellion and is adversarial to that message, you are not commanded to continue. Okay? Can the carnal mind accept the spiritual gospel? No! It can't. The carnal mind, your, your, your fleshly brain cannot understand, uh, appreciate, or have any joy in the gospel. Okay? The carnal mind is at enmity with God. What's enmity, David? Enmity is hatred. Right? Hostility. Open rebellion. Do you know what can change that? God alone. His Holy Spirit can change that. That thief on the cross, right? There's two thieves. In the beginning of the crucifixion, both of them are making fun of Christ. Before the end, one was upbraiding the other, saying, don't you know that we're in the same condemnation and us justly, but him innocently, right? <clears throat> Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Two men, both railing against God, and then something changed in one. Well, what's that? The Holy Spirit. He was born again. Operation of God. Right? And so this is letting you know that this lets you explain why John the Baptist was able to call a group of people who came out to be baptized vipers. Oh ye snakes, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come. These are people who are openly and hostile to the truth. You don't have to continue to labor there. All right? It's like taking something that's holy, cast it into the wild dogs. Something that beautiful pearl. Now, when you're born again, that which was foolish to you is now going to seem to be the most precious thing ever. But you do not have the ability by intellectual arguments to have anybody see that without God doing that work first. Okay? Expect the world to hate your message. It's only by God's grace that anybody's going to be excited about it. Okay? So who gets the credit? He does. Who doesn't have the right to get discouraged? I don't. <laughs> right? Well, I tried to tell somebody about Christ or somebody invited, tried to invite somebody to church and they didn't seem interested or they didn't care or whatever. I'm just, I must, just, must be no good at this. I should go do something else. <laughs> Oh. Right. Jesus' work is still true. Jesus is still on the throne. He is our Lord and Savior. You got something to talk about. Right? Bulldogs won. Alabama won. Yay. It's real easy to talk about that, right? They're our team. We like to talk about them. Particularly when they do well. Y'all, we're on the best team. Our captain's never lost. And he's coming back. You got something to talk about. And not something to be forced and awkward. Right? If you're genuinely excited about your Lord, guess what you'll want to talk about? A lot of our problem comes from us being lukewarm. Yeah, we know God's good. But we're so blessed and lazy. <laughs> That we're just kind of lulled into thinking, well, we're, we're all right. <clears throat> Not knowing that we're really naked and hungry and poor. 
You just have a few days of the Lord taking away some of those luxuries and you start appreciating, Woo! Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I need some water for the cows. Right? He's providing it every day. But because it's so regular and so dependent, we take it for granted. And we forget who really the source is. Which leads us right into verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I don't know about y'all, but in elementary school, we were like, tried, they tried to make some little salespeople, right? Go sell wallpaper, newspaper, wrapping paper. That's what it was, wrapping paper. For Boy Scouts, it was popcorn. Girl Scouts, it was cookies, whatever. Guess how many sales you get if you didn't go knock on that door? You didn't ask anybody. You didn't look for that piece of paper. You're supposed to write it on down. You lost it. You didn't see it. Right? <laughs> and that's a silly example, right? And, the, and obviously the context of this verse is talking about prayer. It's going to get up to your Heavenly Father giving you good things. Often we're like that little school child who just sits there and mopes. Y'all ever complain to somebody, oh, I just can't find it. And you know jolly well they have not got off their tuchus and gone and looked. I don't know how to do it. Did you ask anybody for help? No. I just sat here and pouted. Y'all, we got to stop pouting. <laughs> And we need to start praying. Prayer should not be a chore. Sometimes we, we a lot of times, I'm ratting myself out here. I, I think of it as a, a chore, a checkbox, something to get through. Rather than, I'm fulfilling an instruction that God said to do. Ask! Is there something that you think you need? Ask with humility, Lord, if this is indeed something that I need. If it's not, Lord, show me that. Help me to live without it. Let me have contentment, right? But in all of them, you're expressing humility and subservience, subjection to his will, that he knows better. Seek. Seek what? Seek the things of the world? No, we got a whole sermon about that. Lord, help me seek how to lay up heavenly treasures. Help me seek you. I was reading a psalm about hungering and thirsting, panting after the Lord. When's the last time you panted after your Lord? Like you've gone days without water and you need that quenching drink. There's an urgency there. And if you're not there, pray to be thirsty. Pray that I would have that urgent desire to commune with my Lord, to seek you. Lord, help me know your beauty. Prayer this morning, I was thinking about Moses. Okay. They had 
He'd been in the mount for 40 days. He'd been doing his time, right? He hadn't eaten or drunk. He came down and they're worshiping a golden cow. He throws the Ten Commandments down. There's some folks who are slain. So he goes back up for another 40 days. Um, but somewhere in that timeline, he, the Lord says, I'm not going to go with y'all. I'll send an angel with you. And Moses says, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. And so the Lord says, okay, my presence will go with you. You know what Moses asked for next? He'd already been given what he asked for. He'd been given the presence of the Lord. That's good. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. How often are we content with just the little glimpses of his presence? Rather than when you feel that presence, digging in deeper and asking for more. Lord, let me see more. Let me see your glory. There's a whole sermon in that. We won't go there. But ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh shall be opened. Why? Because if you're not doing those three, you're guaranteed it won't be opened. And then he gives an illustration using the lesser to describe the better. And in the illustration, us as parents, we're the lesser. What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Okay. You know, as parents, sometimes we get irritated asking about snacks, right? But if your child is hungry and they're asking for bread, something to survive off on some daily need, no father is going to say, here, go play with a rock. Or if they ask for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And this, I don't think it's a dead serpent to eat. I think it's a live one, right? The idea is that something that's harmful If you then, being evil, are men naturally evil? Yes. We're we're corrupt. If we can't understand that, you don't understand the need of your Savior. Okay? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, so that's the lesser, you know, children, you know, you love, you know how to give them good gifts, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. Is he your father? Yes. Do fathers know how to give good things to their children? Yes. If we as sorry and low down fathers who make a lot of mistakes here still try and do the right thing and take care of our children, do you think that when you go and ask your perfectly heavenly father who does everything right for good things that he'll give you bad? No. You say, well, that's obvious. Yeah. But we don't act like it. Go to Luke chapter 11 and 13. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Jesus is saying this similar uh, message at a different occasion. He uses a, you know, this this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is another time. We'll just read it. Um, 9. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. 
For everyone that asketh receiveth, seeketh, findeth, to him that knocketh it shall be open. Right? Same message. Asking the bread gives a stone. No. Ask fish gives a serpent. Here's an additional one. If he, uh, or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If your son asks for an egg. No. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give... What's it say? The Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. How often do we limit what we're asking to to just the natural stuff? Right? The things that you can see, eat, consume, drive, wear. Right? Your Heavenly Father, which is in heaven, will give good things to them that ask Him. What better gift can you have? Give the Holy Spirit to them. Now, Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure. Right? That's amazing and hard to understand. Right? And each of us are given faith in measure, in degrees. It's okay to ask for more. It's okay to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. To experience more of your Lord. To ask for His glory. You know who the express image and glory of God the Father is? The Son! Right? Christ, when He came, His glory was veiled. He laid it aside for a time. And as He's praying his high priestly prayer right before being crucified in John chapter 17 and asking for God to glorify him again with the glory that he had before the foundation of the world Christ always is, he is God alright and when we see him next he won't be a humble lowly servant form he will be glorified right? on the mount of transfiguration uh, Peter and John um, and James got to see a glimpse of his glory so much that his face changed and his garments became pure white, right? What are you, the garments that God has for us in heaven, that's what they're described as, as being white, as spotless, right? There's no sin, not the slightest bit. And this radiating light comes from him, right? What's heaven going to be illuminated by? The sun, S-O-N. Jesus himself is the light in heaven. You don't need the sun or moon. Ask for more of him. If we've got more of Christ in our life, how blessed are we? And we can realize how much less we can get by with the other stuff. Well, starts with therefore. Because of what's gone before. And I think this goes back basically for the whole message. Therefore. I'll read it and then we'll talk about it. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All right? This is a summary of the Old Testament in one verse. How do you apply... The instruction, all the things that ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, whether they're doing it to you or not. That goes back to 
doing good to your enemies, blessing them and cursing them. If you, how, you know, treat men how you want to be treated. Right? That doesn't really fully expound upon the level that he's calling you to. This is this is this is laboring in love. This is love in action. Loving your enemies is me, at least as much as you love yourself. And then loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, even more than that. He said to love them as much as Christ loved you. And then above that, loving God first. With your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, your strength, everything you got. Verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. Gate uh, Straight means narrow. Okay. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now some folks will try to distort this verse and say, there's only going to be a few people in heaven. See, it says those right there. Now this is talking about our life. Our life here. How do we apply the teachings of Christ? There is one right way. There is one righteousness. There is one truth. There is one life. That is Jesus Christ and His model and what He sets forth. He's the cornerstone. What He says is what's straight. That's one way. That's the one that we're trying to follow after. Any other derivation from that? Those are ways that lead off to ruin, to destruction, to harm, to pain. There's a lot of choices on those. That's what I'm saying. Bra's the gate. Yeah, you it's everything else. Okay? But they don't lead anywhere good. Just him. And you don't get to change the signposts. Right? It's set. A righteousness that exceeds. Right? These things are not easy for your carnal flesh. They're not easy for me. But they're what's right. That's one of the great things about heaven is that we'll be able to do it perfectly there. To live righteously and sin-free. To have that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets. False prophets. Hebrews talks about the old time. uh, God spoke through prophets various and sundry times, but has in his latter days spoken by his son. And then the things that his son said were confirmed by his apostles, and God gave them his blessing on what they were saying by using these signs and miracles to confirm it. And now we've got it recorded in written form. That's This is our best metric for measuring against what somebody's saying. But if someone comes to you, and again, this is being spoken before the rest of the Scripture had been written, New Testament hadn't been written at all. It hadn't happened. Beware of false prophets. Someone who's coming and claiming to represent God, which they're not, they come to you in sheep's clothing. What's that mean? It means they got the look. They, 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 they act like or talk like or sound like what you would expect somebody who's speaking for God. Right? But inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Right? Somebody who's going to lead you on one of those other paths. Right? Well, how do you defend yourself? You examine them. You see if what their life matches up to what God says, right? Therefore, all things that you would men should do, do ye so to them? This is the law and the prophets. Is it being lived out? 
Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Y'all ever gone out in the briar patch and found a whole bunch of figs? No, they grow on fig trees, right? You expect that good fruit to go on, grow on that particular good tree. That's what's being expressed there. Grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. You will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their actions. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. <clears throat> if someone's claiming to speak for God, examine their actions. Or what they calling and leading and speaking, encouraging you do you to do, is it contrary to the clear teachings of Jesus Christ and his word? If it is, then ain't speaking for God. If they're advocating for things or living out things that are corrupt and vile, it's not someone you want to follow. Alright? You'd be cautious. Jesus warns his disciples, there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be false teachers. You know, you got to be on guard. There are a lot of folks in our country, I believe a lot of good-hearted folks, but they listen to some bad teachers, and they're chasing some paths that, that lead to destruction and ruin. Does that mean they're not children of God? Didn't say that. But are they seeking what's best? No. And this is a constant recalibration, day after day after day after day. But guard your hearts, guard your minds, guard your ears. And filter everything you say of, is this consistent with the Word? And if it's not, go somewhere else. Don't stay there and continue to listen to garbage. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So claiming to be a Christian and claiming to teach what God says, that does not automatically make you one of his servants. That does not automatically make you one who's going to heaven. It does not make you trustworthy necessarily. The idea is that these false teachers and prophets and false Christ will claim to be working on the Lord's behalf. If they weren't, they'd be wolves in wolves' clothing. Right? But it's a, a deception. So Jesus is saying the hard, hard truth that words are cheap. Actions go a lot farther. So we've, we've, we've claimed... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? So we, we've given prophecies. Y'all, there's a lot of dumb things on YouTube. And some of them are people claiming to be prophets for God. Send me $20 and I'll give you a prophecy. Okay, Miss Rachel. But, but they're claiming to do it in Christ's name. Miss Rachel's less of a hypocrite than that. And of tarot card readers. And she's open about being contrary 
Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Unregenerate, we work iniquity. That's all we can do. That's all we will do. Those who are not born again by the grace of God, we work iniquity. We cannot please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can do things that would morally appear to be good, but our motivations are corrupt. Naturally, dead in trespasses and sins, we cannot do good. That's what's being expressed there. So you cannot, by your works and claiming to be a servant of God and claiming to do things on behalf, somehow earn your way into His grace. Can't do it. Final therefore. Therefore, for this whole sermon. Therefore, so... Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, y'all been here the last five weeks, you've heard all these sayings of Christ. Whosoever heareth them and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which buildeth his house upon a rock. Account over in Luke, it gives it even a little bit more graphically. He digs down to find the rock and builds his house thereon. And that foundation. You hear it and you do it. I'll liken you to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not. Why didn't it fall? It was founded on the rock. The sayings of Christ, hearing it and doing it, make your life stable. Does that mean you won't have problems? No, there's winds, there's rains, there's thunders. It's it's there. But what you've built it upon doesn't change. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If we've heard Christ's words, we have, and then we don't go and apply it in our life, we're fools. It's foolish. We've decided that something else will be the support for my life, and it ain't going to stand. And if the Lord loves you, He'll cause that to be knocked down so you can see. We can build up a bunch of little island idols. And that's based in our house. Pillars of sand. It's it's not gonna last. It's not gonna work. There is a temptation among us as church going folk to come and sit. And then not think about the sermon afterwards, not think about the Bible the rest of the week, not pray, not have any impact on our lives. 
that's where we're at, are we wise or are we fools? And I'm using Christ's words. Foolish, to act foolish. Some folks get upset when you have a sermons on application. That's just not very encouraging. Christ just ended the Sermon on the Mount with apply it. <laughs> Go apply it. Go do it. It's for your good and for his glory. Apply it. Apply it. Apply it. I don't know how to apply it. Ask, seek, knock. Read, study, dig. Call you preacher. not okay for us to be passive. Mm-hmm. Even the word itself, are, are you a follower of Christ? What's implied in the word followers? Movement. He didn't call us to be stumps or bumps on a rotten log. Right? Follow, chase after, actively seek. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished. What? At his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Right? The scribes could just say, this is what the law says. Jesus says, here's the law and I'm expanding it so you understand the magnitude and he's teaching with one as authority. Because does he have authority? Yeah! Does he have authority over your life? Not just in general, your life. And my life. Y'all got quiet on that one. Yes, he does. We need to take his words to heart. Not just here. And then live it out each day, even when it's hard. Let our actions speak. And if you love one another, then will all men know that you're my disciples? Laboring in love, toil in love. Diligently seeking and seeking that path of righteousness. Not what's just the easiest way. What's the middlest way or the one that won't cause offense or trouble or inconvenience. What's right? What's best? What glorifies my Lord? This is rubber and road stuff. Right? I can tee this up for y'all. Y'all gotta y'all gotta swing the club. Gotta run with it. I'm running for this afternoon it's not far enough. Day in and day out. Can we do better? Yeah, me too. <laughs> 
Is God worthy of our best efforts? Sometimes we forget that. He is worthy. It's kind of easy to pray that. Lord, we give you all the glory and praise and honor. It's kind of like element of P in the alphabet. You're just kind of giving it short shrift. Right? But living a life that brings Him glory and honor and praise... That's pretty radical. It's not a low bar. So let's go apply it.